Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Use Case Podcast. Today, we have Ryan on from Viva HR, and we'll be learning about the business case, or the use case that is customers and prospects use to purchase Viva HR. So without any further ado, Ryan, would you do uh, us a, a favor and introduce both yourself and Viva HR? Yeah, my pleasure. I really appreciate the chance to, to share a little bit more about us. And, you know, hiring is so funny because it's so difficult for everyone it's one of those common things we can all agree on is, is a very challenging process, but it was exacerbated, obviously, over the last couple of years. And having been in HR tech for about a dozen years myself and been in the digital marketing world, I kind of, I, I built a product that kind of made a baby out of the two, so to speak. We, we took my marketing background, digital marketing agency and hiring and created culture marketing and trademarked the phrase to where we leverage companies' culture to create micro landing pages at the job level. And this is done through a job posting automation where we publish the jobs to about 50 different job boards, Indeed, LinkedIn, Classroom, all the big ones. And as candidates engage with your postings, they're then presented a micro landing page that really emphasizes the culture, the media experience. And so the candidate then gets kind of a, a deeper emotional attachment to the brand as opposed to just living through this text only world. Well, I can tell you, because I'm a recovering marketer, I automatically love this because it speaks to kind of, especially on the B2B side, it speaks to persona-based marketing, drip campaigns, all the all the things that we love on the marketing side that, that we're not great at as even recruitment marketers or employer branding specialists. We're not really great at some of that stuff. And I also think something that you've unlocked that I really like is that you instead of giving people everything at once and asking them to swallow the entire sandwich, you know, in one bite, it's you get them interested in it. And then if they're interested, you start expanding their interest and in giving them more and more and more until maybe the call to action is to apply or enter into a talented community, et cetera. So do I have mm-hmm. some of that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, you find that candidates you just ask them, look at some of these Deloitte surveys, you look at some of the kind of analysis that they're doing with the, the the job market, candidates tell you what they want. Right. They're looking for they're looking for a great workplace culture. They're looking for growth opportunities. They're looking for what I refer to as kind of the 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 social um emotional triggers. So socially, what's gonna look good on LinkedIn on a status update, cool company. Um, doing good things. And then the emotional side of it is like, how is it really going to benefit me? How am I going to be uplifted by working here? And it's so interesting that as recruiters, as hiring managers, a lot of times we get so stuck on functional hiring. Right. We really miss those other components. And so we really want to bring those, those emotions to surface as quickly as possible to create a deeper connection. So let me get your take on this. Uh... In, in terms of workplace culture, because pre-pandemic, I think I would have maybe unaided 
I would have said the box, the headquarters, the place, the, you know, that's culture. And the, the extension of, you know, going to ball games or hanging out or doing, going to bars, whatever the bid was, that that's the culture of the company. Um, with the pandemic, I've probably re- revisited that and said it's culture is how you treat people. Now, I probably had it wrong to begin with, and maybe I even have it wrong now. <laughs> so there's that. But what do you what are you starting to what do you see out of your customers and even your own company in terms of wh- how do you define work you know workplace culture? Well, I I love this question because it exposes that such a broad response base. Uh, you and I could probably have two different opinions of what <laughs> organizational culture is and there's, there's no magic formula, but here's what I believe it is. I believe it's exactly kind of to your point. It's how you're, it's how you're treated. It's how you treat others. It's how you feel. Right. It's a sense of security and safety amongst peers in a relationship and confidence inside the organization. And, you know, you, you take all those together and there's your culture component, but here's the difference maker. And this is what I found when I owned a local job board and I was working with everybody from Chase Bank, PayPal, big corporate America, all the way to Joe's Plumbing Company, super small, looking for just a couple service techs. What I found was they all made the same mistake. Didn't matter the size of the company. We only talked about one type of culture and that was organizational culture. PayPal has great culture and they have a lot of perks that come with that culture. But they never promoted the fact, but what was the culture like at the job level? If you're a collections agent, the culture of your day-to-day job looks a lot different than a CFO's day-to-day culture. There should, that, those should be two different stories. Now, the organization has the same core values across all departments, across all locations and headquarters, but the actual culture experience can differ greatly based on all those different parameters. So in in seeing that, I I saw that a lot of companies missed an opportunity to tell the culture story at the job level. And I think that that's a huge recruiting advantage companies can have is really tie that back to the individual. So when you get down to, first of all, I love this and where you're taking it. Uh, if, If you can get down to the job level, you can get down to the team level and possibly even to the hiring manager level as well, right? Oh, absolutely. I think there should be a story. Here's the team you'd be working with. This requisition is for this team. Here's a little background on some of the team members you'd be working with. Your average tenure is, you know, five and a half years. You know, some of the general hobbies look like this, this, and this. Right. Some of their favorite shows they're watching on HBO Max. Like bring bring to life the human side of day-to-day culture as opposed to we believe in playing fairly. We believe it, right? Like integrity. those are cute. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's not really connecting. And I think that's that's the way you differentiate. I like that. I like that a lot. So I got several questions. Um, one is who do we work with? Uh, who does VVHR work with? Annette Spectrum from sourcing to onboarding and HR, et cetera. Like who's your customer when you I mean there's a user and probably a customer maybe they're maybe they're different maybe they're the same but who's uh who's Viva HR's customer who do we work with 
Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that with kind of sharing some of the problems that we faced when when bringing this product to market a handful of years ago. Um, we we realized pretty clearly that we were we were more than a job board, but we weren't a you know a, a full on HR suite. So we we kind of kind of fall under this quasi bucket of applicant tracking system, mm-hmm. and that's because we publish the jobs to these providers. And in order to maintain that experience all the way through with the candidate to their first culture experience on the landing pages, the nurture email sequences, it had to kind of be all self-contained inside a, a suite. So, so we're under this bucket of applicant tracking system, but so a lot of our customers tend to be small businesses who, you know, they're looking for that applicant tracking system, first experience publishing, automating their job postings, nurturing candidates. But then we have this second cohort of larger companies that maybe have, maybe they've got the ADP, you know, big applicant tracking system bolt on or the ISIMS, or they've kind of got a bigger framework in place, but they tend to use Viva HR as this talent sourcing mm-hmm. and initial gatekeeping. And then once the candidates get to a certain stage in their pipeline, they push them over. Right. So so we kind of have two different cohorts, but I would say I love small business. I love small business America. I love the moldability and the humility that comes with that. So I gravitate there myself to work with those customers, but we right. have pretty good range. So so sometimes it's it's easier for the audience to think of pre-apply, apply, post-apply and for technologies. And so uh, I see you squarely in pre-apply. That's done. Got that. That's pretty easy. But I also see you if it's a call to action and there's apply. I see you add apply. I don't, for whatever reason, I don't see you in post-apply um, or the confusion around ATS. I see it being integrated with ATSs, but maybe at the SMB level, it becomes a default because they don't have an ATS or they're using Excel. It becomes the kind of the default ATS. Do I have some of that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right in line. And I, it just goes up to the degree of sophistication at the right. company. Right. You know, we'll, we'll bring on franchise groups and they'll say, you know what, we used to centralize all the hiring. So we needed a bigger, heavier ATS. Right. But now, but now we're, we're giving that assignment back to the team leads at the respective locations or the franchisors or, you know, at, at different tiers. So it's nice because it, it can be a full applicant tracking system as well. So do you get misdiagnosed sometimes as a CRM? Yeah, yeah, I could I, I definitely see that happen. Right. Um, I also see people look at us and say, Well, we already have an ATS. <laughs> yeah. Why would we use you? And I think they miss that whole marketing right. messaging conversion rate conversation. Right. That's uh, to me. That's the most interesting, is actually helping people with the funnel and going all the way further out, just like the sales funnel and marketing funnel. It's sure. going all yeah. the way further out and helping them with conversions all the way through that process. Yeah, I mean, you gotta. I think I think the the more tenured um, folks in recruiting and hiring definitely understand quality over quantity because um, they've just seen that pattern over and over again. Um, 
and they recognize your A players, your your top five percenters in any respective industry or function, they don't just apply to every job the first time they see it. You really have to set an impression. Yeah, exactly. And they've got options. They know they have options. And so they're, they're kind of floating around, but you need to present something so memorable that they can't get it out of their minds. And they they decide two days, three days, six months later, you know, that's worth taking a stab at. Let's, let's, let's apply there. So what are you seeing as it relates to remote or hybrid work um, from your customers in terms of how that relates to culture? Well, that's, that's the question that is yet to, I, we're not going to answer it here. And I, and I don't think we'll answer it. You <laughs> Next know, 10 this, years. This, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, you look at companies, one of my favorite companies is Zapier, right? And, mm-hmm. and Wade kind of, when he built this company based in San Francisco said, you know, rather than me taking this huge tranche of investment capital just to fund office space, let's go all remote and keep our capital utilization as tight as possible here. And, Gosh, what an incredible job. I I don't know what how many employees they're up to. I believe they're over a thousand at this point. And they're fully remote almost from day one. And right. they have some of the greatest company culture, their employment surveys. You look at the awards they're winning, incredible work that they're doing. And I think that they're very intentional about training. They're very intentional about uh leadership. You miss, in my opinion, what I refer to as um leadership osmosis for in a virtual environment. If you're in the office and your department manager just dealt with a massive blow between a peer or a customer, or there's some contentious environment, you see how you learn how it was handled. Right. You learn what to do or maybe what not to do. You're, you're absorbing through osmosis, these interactions and these opportunities for self-growth. You miss a lot of that on a Zoom. You miss right. a lot of that in remote. Whereas I think Zapier has done a really good job is, is they are very intentional about their their retreats. You see them, to all their employees talk about it. Um, they're actively intentionally budgeting for groups to get together, fly to a destination, have interaction with each other. I think that's really the next generation of remote is you're going to see companies having to invest very substantially into those meaningful connection events. I love it. And you're right. We're not going to solve the, solve that uh, today, but I did, I just wanted to see what your customers are, what they're going through. And I love the Zapier story. What's your, let's do some buy side stuff. What's, what's your favorite part of the VVHR demo? Like your, when you know that they're, you're going to get them to a kind of an aha moment. It's that culture marketing piece, just because it's so unique from any other platform is we'll go through the basic functions of the applicant tracking system, publishing the jobs. And in those, those are pretty stable. I mean, it's a commodity. You could right. shop, you could shop dozens of different tools that do similar things, but really what it comes down to is how do we create a memorable experience to the candidate? And that's usually where we go. Okay. Now, you know, I want to have it that, you know, that kind of a dialogue. So it's, how fast it's can we stand it up? <laughs> yes. What does onboarding look like? You yeah, know, yeah. take my money. So that's, those are always fun conversations to kind of see how excited they get about visualizing them doing that with their brand. So what are customers, what questions, if you could, if you had a magic wand, you could get, what questions should 
prospects be asking you in the sales process? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here and forgive me for this, but you know, I've, I've sat on boards with uh, Sherm organizations and chapters, and there's really this weird dichotomy between vendors and HR practitioners. And it's, as, a, as an HR vendor, I feel like we're kind of looked at like lesser knowledge base. Right. Like, oh, you're just a vendor. Right. They, there's this sense of discount there. The reality is I have access to tens and hundreds of thousands of data points that could give HR practitioners incredible insights into the pulse of hiring their industry. And I almost never get asked anything about that. And that's interesting to me that why vendors are not brought into those dialogues more as experts because of their lens of visibility to what's happening, what's not happening. And um, I and I think that, that those would be some of the magic questions I would recommend um, folks shopping for different HR tools is when talking to the vendor, ask some questions. What are you seeing in the marketplace? How is this comparing to what my peers are doing? What are the best you know, what's best practice in this environment? I think you might be surprised with the, the amount of insight that could be shared. Oh, I, I 100% agree. I, I, for a period of my life, I studied user adoption and, and implementations. And it's like sitting, especially enterprise software, sitting in, in, in the implementation side, you get to see all of, you know, you get to see all of what goes on that's right and where some of those inevitable disasters are and change management and all this all this stuff and it's like they don't get utilized uh they don't get the fraction of their utilization is is used by by practitioners because of what you what you hit on it's they're not just thought of lesser they're it's it's almost institutionalized that they are are lesser and it's like not if you think about how many installs they've done so take a right oracle right. you know and you look at okay they've they've done you know or for a workday, I think they have 4,500 HCM clients, right? That means they've done 4,500 implementations. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's sitting on a lot of data mm-hmm. of what, you know, where to configure, what to customize, what to make better, how the process gets smoother, et cetera. So I think you're absolutely right. Um, two things. One is, is uh, I know qu- people are going to ask about integrations and workflow. Um, what are you being asked, you know, by your clients? What are you being asked to kind of integrate? You know, the hip bone connects to the leg bone, et cetera. Where, what do you, what do you, what do you need to be integrated with? Yeah, I think a lot of people ask us. Um, if ultimately, we integrate back with their kind of HCM, HRAS, payroll right. system, and and that's definitely been a massive push for us. Actually, this year is getting out our REST API so we can build those those integrations natively as quickly as possible. So um, we integrate with, you know, most of the big players from a payroll perspective, but we continually have a lot more on the roadmap that we want to build out. Um, Depending on the size of the company, even just doing a manual export and import really is not very challenging at all. So um, there's, there's becoming more of a global standard as well as is how the data is layered and mm-hmm. designed to make it a lot easier to pass through. So it's becoming much, much quicker of an implementation to integrate. Because you mentioned uh, Zapier, do you, have you used them or have you thought to use them as uh, kind of a connector? 
Yeah, we do actually. We have a full, just about every, you know, data layer in our ATS has got one one element of a trigger or action on on our Zapier integration. So you can do a lot of damage with Zapier. And it's, it's one of those, <laughs> I, I love that tool. I think it was absolutely brilliant. But um, yeah, we, we do have a full integration there. So there is a fair amount of our customers that, you know, may, they're, maybe they're still... They love a, just a good backup spreadsheet. So they have right. a full on, they have a zap going right to a Google sheet and just shows them a nice table. So, oh, that's fantastic. So, I love ending the, the podcast with like customer stories without names, without brands and any of that type of stuff, but just ways that people have used Viva HR. And you're like, this is why I built the company. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll tell you the vertical. I had a client probably close to 80 employees um they're in the trades industry and they didn't have an hr person at this level of a company and they've just been really stuck on sponsoring jobs on indeed and posting jobs on craigslist and they didn't realize that there's this ability to use a third-party publisher and start generating organic traffic and they were spending close to eight to ten thousand dollars a month between all their sponsorship job openings across the different platforms. And I, I said, just trust me for two months. Drop the budget to zero. Let's just look at organic visibility. How do we? We're probably going to get lower quantity of candidates because we're not forcing it in front of probably wrong qualified candidates. But instead, we're going to focus on optimizing against good quality keyword relevancy to the job titles and be discovered a little bit easier that way. And um, I, I think that's probably one of my favorite experiences. Yeah, it's been over a year and he's never spent a dollar again on sponsored job ads and understands the power of just organic postings, good quality content, and really focusing on quality conversion rate optimization. It's interesting. It's interesting to me because in that story, you're the the customer. They're going to spend about the same amount of money. I would assume they're just spending it differently, right? So instead of well, in this case, he probably he probably dropped you know his cost over eighty percent actually. Wow. Um, well, I was thinking about yeah. the quality content part. Like some, you know, you've got to create mm -hmm. the stickiness of that. Yeah. So, but but yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a cost savings, which which is great. But I think, you know, getting to a better quality hire and having a better custom, a candidate experience, as you mentioned at the very beginning, it's like, hey, listen, they, candidates just want, they're, they're going to get a better experience. If you don't give it to them, they're going to go somewhere else and get it from somebody else. Right, right. So this has been wonderful, Ryan. I, I absolutely love what you've built. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And thanks, everyone else, for listening to the Use Case Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com.